Welcome to Pitch Black, America's Missing Soccer Stars. I'm your host and creator, Matthew, and today we're going to get into some interesting topics about the usual local, national, and international soccer scene for Black and African American culture. Today we're going to talk about a little bit of some ownership uh, that's going on with some popular names. Um, we're going to also get into the United States Men's National Team, what they're doing, their kids and the new roster that's coming uh, out for the upcoming World Cup. And we're also gonna have a little bit more of a rant about the USL and NOLA, which is near and dear to me. Stay tuned. Welcome back. And as I said, I wanted to kind of go back into the rant um, that I had in the last episode, USL Fall. Uh, so if you're new, um, or maybe if you do remember, but for any new listeners, uh, the USL, which is kind of the second level of soccer uh, in the United States uh, underneath MLS, uh, it's the United Soccer League, a few months ago posted that they were going to have uh, potentially a soccer team in New Orleans. Uh, They're putting out a couple of guides to actually, um, you know, do research uh, to see as far as the viability for a soccer team in New Orleans. And there's some updates about that. I want I want to talk about after um, the rest of the rant, I should say. Um, some of the things that they've been doing is uh, looking at the uh, the demographics. Uh, you know, you want to actually have enough people going to the games. Um, to support the team while a lot of sports teams especially in america uh make a lot of or if not most of their money from broadcasting revenues um usl their broadcasting rights aren't the biggest but uh they do a lot um uh, they have their games on espn plus which is a, a nice chunk of change but um ticket sales are obviously a high uh, uh necessity with um, these teams averaging about five to six thousand um, fans per game per team. Um, so a few months ago, I actually maybe about a month and a half ago, uh, a couple of the local uh, fan base, the local supporter group for a local team that's in the NPSL, which is about the fourth tier, um, obviously wanted to be involved. Um, I did as well. Want to be involved with. The creation of a new team or you know input uh and one of the biggest things that i mentioned was the stadium the stadium location uh we uh we currently do not have a soccer specific stadium uh not many places do but they are growing into that um we do have a place in kind of like our suburb uh of new orleans uh called metairie it's right next door um and there's a street that goes straight to a highway major highway uh, that goes through it, and there's a stadium that was formerly for the baseball team, the New Orleans Zephyrs, Baby Cakes, whatever you want to call them. Um, and obviously that team has moved on, that baseball team has moved on, but there's NOLA Gold, the Major League Rugby team. So it is the 
that's technically the third major league or third professional sport uh, team in the New Orleans area after the Saints and the Pelicans. So um, why do I mention that? Uh, it's because you have a rugby field that's you know pretty much soccer size, if not larger, on, on average. Um, but in the discussions, in the chat, and in the kind of the uh, the Zoom or whatever it is, Discord, um, multiple fans wanted to, and supporters wanted to figure out what are some good places. You know, uh, one of the things that were uh, put out there to attract the team is a stadium in our riverfront area. It's kind of downtown uh, near the business district, which, in my opinion, is already packed. Um, you know, we have the Saints Stadium, the Superdome. And we have the uh, Smoothie King Center, which is where our NBA team, the Pelicans, play. Uh, they exist there, and um, they, you know, they've they've survived. But uh, as with any inner city area, so much has been built around there. So making space for a stadium uh, is pretty difficult. So we kind of went, you know, everybody went back and forth as far as the place in Metairie because it can be renovated and add more seats to make it a soccer stadium in the off season, uh, in the rugby team's off season, since they don't really mix uh, or they don't conflict. Uh, and others wanted the riverfront. And I'll get into some of the reasons why um, in a bit. Um, but what really threw me for a loop. There's a part of New Orleans, New Orleans East. Um, if you've heard of it, or if you haven't heard of it, it was one of the major areas that was affected by Katrina back in 2005. Um, and little little known to everybody, uh, it was actually one of the main sites that Walt Disney looked at um, to build Disney World. Uh, you know, people may say, oh, well, that must mean, you know, I mean, why would you build out there? It's a swampy area. And well, so was... Um, where currently Walt, uh, where Disney World is. So you can have a, a swampy area and still renovate it. Majority of New Orleans was swampy and, you know, it's now been developed. Uh, and you can also develop to counteract, um, you know, any kind of uh, weather effects. But that's another topic. So I'm from there and, you know, New Orleans East has gone up and down. It's had its its rises, uh, you know, in history and, you know, recently a deep fall as far as, um, you know, considerable crime, uh, low home ownership rate um, uh, and just flight. And people may say, oh, it's just white flight. No, there's white and black flight flight. Uh, people are leaving because there's not opportunities. Um, the last thing that I remember was uh, the Six Flags Jazzland theme park, which was my first job, uh, was one of the major uh, attracting forces there. I mean, we literally had people from uh, the panhandle of Florida um, and, you know, throughout Texas and obviously throughout the Gulf Coast coming to New Orleans um, to this theme park. So, you know, hotels were built. So obviously it has the ability to support it. Now, the reason why I say all of this is because um, in the conversation with the supporters, you know, obviously it's kind of faceless, but I've seen some of them before at uh, different games. One of the, uh, the 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 heads of the conversation made a statement slash question. Uh, so we all can agree that we don't want the team in New Orleans East. And I just thought about it for a second. Wow, this is amazing for the same group of folks that I can undeniably say who are considering themselves progressive or 
want to do the best for the community and and I by all means I'm not going to try to get political in this are the same ones that were so quick to put down and dismiss uh an area that I would or most uh locals would say needs um to be developed and has the capacity and resources or at least as far as real estate to be developed um so that that just made me think because originally you know i had thought about the the meta relocation stadium already built but something switched on me i'm the type of person if you say no you can't do this i'm going to find um the the information yes i'm going to argue i'm going to debate because i want to see maybe you're wrong instead of just blindly following like everybody else in the group chat or whatever um you know just agreed yeah yeah of course i wanted to go deep down into see so i've you know been an athletic director for high school uh, i've worked with different sports teams and uh, i've worked in a couple of different businesses as far as logistics uh and operations so that gives me um that gave me a bit more of an insight of how things are run and um my you know master's degree is in um sports administration so it's not just about hey a good team on the field it's all the things that surround it so i just kind of made a list i want you know i wanted to get a couple of the arguments that that were made first one first argument was uh well new orleans has you know a, a very poor population and comparable to the rest of the country that's true uh they won't be able to you know um if they if it's in metairie uh which is pretty much across the city of new orleans so it's west of new orleans east it's about 10 12 miles away from new orleans east depending on where you are uh which in many major cities nashville houston and everything it's pretty much nothing um so the argument oh well people won't have the money uh or they won't have the resources to get out there first of all from what i've realized uh, from what i've seen the buses still run the buses run and, you know, folks want to use that as a, a very green source of transportation, which, you know, to each their own. That's fine. If you don't have a vehicle, I understand. Um, you know, one thing I, I let folks know on that uh, conference or that group chat is that, hey, I'm from New Orleans East. Uh, and one thing I've always realized, if you want to get somewhere from New Orleans East, you will. There is very little stopping you. There are times where people will go to um, the major mall or one of the biggest malls in the metro area, you know, from New Orleans East without an issue. So why would it be any more of an issue to go to a game? Uh, so that's one thing. Um, so, but that that's a little bit more about some of the other arguments. Why would you, uh, second question was, well, you don't want to develop a team outside of the city center. And I was like, well, that's that's not true. That's that, you know, there are several I can think of several teams just in the NFL alone um, that did that because, you know, large stadiums require a large amount of uh, real estate. Um, and I actually went through the list to see. I was like, OK, every team in the AFC East, um, Las Vegas, uh, I'm sorry, uh Every team in the AFC East, whether it's New England, um, the let's see, the New York Jets, 
um, the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo. All of those teams, their stadiums aren't in the major city. They're not in Buffalo. They're not in New York. They're not in Miami. Uh, and I know New England is kind of a whole area, but their primary city is Boston. They're in Foxborough. Uh, the Las Vegas Ra- Raiders aren't there. Uh, L.A. Chargers and L.A. Rams both share a stadium that's not in L.A. Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, Washington Commanders, and San Francisco. So that's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven teams out of thirty-two. Eleven teams out of thirty-two. Uh, so it's about thirty-something percent, uh, give or take. Um, that's not. They have stadiums that's not there now. Okay, you may say. What about, uh, you know, this is soccer, so it's different. You can't use that. Okay. So I went to a comparative USL, um, teams in the uh, United Soccer League. And look what I found. Just, you know, a a considerable amount as well. Uh, I think it was 8 out of 27. Phoenix Rising play in Chandler, Arizona. Atlanta United 2 play in Kennesaw, which is very far away from Atlanta. Charleston Battery, which I've been to a game. Um... Mount Pleasant, Detroit City plays in Hamtrak. Miami FC plays in University Park. That is not Miami. It is nearby Miami. It's in Miami-Dade County, but not in Miami. New York Red Bulls plays in New Jersey. Tampa Bay Rowdies plays in St. Petersburg, which is twenty, about 21 miles away. And Galaxy 2 plays in Carson, uh, California. Let's go to MLS. Yes, there's not as many, um, you know, compared to the other uh, leagues. Inner Miami went to that game. Fort Lauderdale, uh, Philadelphia Union, Chester, Pennsylvania, and Real Salt Lake doesn't play in Salt Lake. They play in Sandy, Utah. Now, that may sound nitpicky, and one of the you know uh, uh, the counterpoints. Well, you know most aren't there. Well, I'm not worried about most. I'm worried about is it possible? Does it happen? And yes, it does. You have teams that aren't in the city center mainly because it costs too much so that's the first thing as far as uh it's cheaper you know well a lot of these places such as the inter miami original um stadium because they are building a billion dollar one further into miami they have the resources they have the population but they built in very lower income areas because the property was cheaper that made before anyone starts to say oh gentrification this and that that brought more jobs as far as the team and boosted the businesses and added businesses around that area. And uh, what I'll try to do is come back with the, the business statistics, if I can find that, for for these individual areas when they were built in um, uh, lower income areas. And granted, I can uh, I used the, the example earlier as far as Jazzland, which brought, you know, millions and millions of dollars to that to New Orleans East. So. Uh, back to the point, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. You already have a team that's spending money to, you know, probably $10, $20, 30000000 million to get into a league. You know, you're, you're trying to find an investor to do that. Then you have to build a stadium, which is not cheap. Stadiums are not cheap. Even a 10,000-seat stadium is not cheap. That can be upwards almost $100 million. You may get a nice one, you know, a decent one, $25 million. It just depends on foundation and many other factors. But it's cheaper to build out there. You have lower property tax and hopefully no property tax because 
I do like to incentivize businesses to grow so that way people can benefit from it. Like I said, different topic. Uh, less of an eyesore. Worst case scenario, if that doesn't, because it happens, if it doesn't do well, would you really want a stadium for a team that did not last? Say after three years, it just goes, you know, insolvent. They, they can't support a soccer team. Do you want a soccer stadium built in your city center that's not being used? You only have a few options. Either tear it down, which costs more taxpayer money, or try to find another soccer team and start the whole process over. It's just too difficult. It's too risky to build something that's an eyesore without proven uh, sustainability. Uh, three. Uh, space expansion, New Orleans East. The reason why, I'd rather that, it's as far as land area for uh, of New Orleans. It is about forty percent of the land area. Forty percent of the land area of New Orleans uh, total county parish, whatever you want to call it. It's called parish here, but forty um, percent of it is New Orleans East. Forty. Oh, that's that's less a little less than half. Is just New Orleans East itself. If the team does well, you can expand it. There's no, you know, uh, no longer is it build a stadium and that's it. It's build a stadium and how do you build next to who? What is the real estate nearby that other, say, hotels or the businesses that basically feed off of uh, the soccer team and the stadium and the thousands of people going there on a nearly weekly basis? Where do you have land for that? Not downtown, not in New Orleans uh, CBD in their business district. And um, last but not least, uh, development, development. It, it to try to hear or hearing some of the you know arguments. Oh well, you know, um, I'm for you know uh, this team being a part of the community, but you're putting it. You would like to put. The team in a stadium or the stadium in the area of the city where you're you know it's surrounded by condos that are half a million dollars and up but those places don't need to be supported oh well they have you know bars and you know places to drink and restaurants nearby well aren't you going to the game why are you worried about the bars and everything if you really it, it why not build that stadium out in New Orleans East where you can expand, where it's cheaper. And as far as urban development, now that money is out there. Now you have folks in that area that may have had a business that can improve their business because now people are coming. Maybe they want to sell their business and sell their land and say, hey, you know what? I own this land for you know 20 years and nothing was happening. Now this team came out here. I don't mind selling to each their own. It's your property. You can do whatever you want. But wouldn't that be more advantageous, not just for New Orleans East, but for the city as a whole? Having the stadium out in New Orleans East is not going to destroy the rest of the city. It's not going to cause people to not come to New Orleans. All it's going to do... It's going to cause people to go to different parts of the city instead of just saying, eh, we can only go to French Quarter. Oh, we can only go to Canal Street. We can only go to the river. That's the only reason. Te fans that come from, you know, other teams visiting, we can only go to those areas compared to 
hey, we can go to any part. We can go to any part because if I have multiple parts of New Orleans uh, developed with places to go and things to do with ample amount of space, then every section of the city is striped. Every part of the city can be a very good part of the city to go to instead of just, nah, we don't, you know, that's the outlands. That's, you know, that's that's the badlands. We don't go there. We, we toss trash there. So that's my little rant on that. And I know it's been about a 20 minute rant, but that's my rant on that as far as do not let people count out your neighborhood. Don't let them count out your neighborhood. It, it, as far as business or even, let's say, soccer business, sporting business, let people know. If they see an opportunity in the team, tell, show them that that opportunity can be used for good in a place that is that needs it the most. Because tossing money to people that already have money doesn't do anything for anyone else. But creating opportunities in impoverished areas and watching them grow can be even better. All right, so that's all for this this uh, segment. When we come back, we're going to get into the United States men's national team, the roster, and the kits. And whew, there's some funny things being said about that. See you in a bit. Okay, and welcome back to the second segment for um, today's episode, Pitch Black, America's Missing Soccer Stars. Um, like I said, we're going to talk, go to the international level real quick. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about the upcoming, upcoming roster. And granted, the United States men's national team roster may change around. We all know that. That's sports in general. Injuries happen. People drop out based on the performance. People go in. But... Uh, so far, what's considered the uh, starting 26 came out, uh, and as usual, I like to look at the 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 makeup of the team as far as uh, ethnicity. And granted, this does not discount anyone's athletic ability, whether they're on the roster, whether they're black or not. Um, but like I say, I just wanted to highlight. Um, I wanted to highlight the uh, African American and black players that are on uh, this team. Um, now, uh, I've mentioned this before, and this is in my book, going back to the last uh, World Cup, uh, France's national team was 70% black, even though their country is 5 to 8% black. England's national team, 45% black. Their country is 2.9% uh, black population. Um, Belgium's national team was 39% black. Their country's national population, 5.2% black. Croatia. Uh, which made it to the final against France. Uh, surprisingly, was the outlier. Less than 1% of the national team is black, uh, if any, uh, and less than 1% of their country's um, population is black. 
United States national team uh, percentage of black was 21.7 and uh, the country's um, percent black population 13.4 uh, keep in mind uh, those um, uh, national stats are uh, male and female so you can essentially take half of that or it's even probably slightly less than half of that for each of those countries um, so uh, last uh, World Cup definitely more than twice as uh, much as what representation um, as far as the uh, African-American and black players what is it this time so far based on this so let's just go through I'll go through the names and I'll give you the number afterwards Sean Johnson goalkeeper uh, Reggie Cannon uh, defender uh, Cameron Carter Vickers defender Sergio Des defender Chris Richards defender uh, DeAndre Yedlin defender uh, Kellen Acosta midfielder Tyler Adams midfield Weston McKinney midfield Eunice Musa midfield Malik Tillman uh, midfield and by all means, you know, please, uh, you know, forgive me if this changes because, like I said, some things change, rosters may change within the next day or so based on the first game and obviously may change uh, a few um, uh, in the World Cup, uh, you know, during the first game and probably throughout the first game. So, 26 players, 26 players, that's 11 out of 26, so that's 42% that are black or African, black or African uh, American uh, on their roster, which still is amazing. That's almost, let's see, almost twice as, I'm sorry, that's about twice as much as the previous World Cup. Twice as much with the African American uh, and black population of the United States staying roughly the same, if not dropping a little bit, uh, because there's a larger, um, uh, the largest minority population is uh, uh, Hispanic. And uh, that's grown um, while African-American population percentage-wise has dropped slightly. So, a four, an increase from 21.7 to 42%. And I think that's very incredible. I, I want to give props, uh, and not going to give props in, you know, in general to the uh, United States men's soccer team uh, organization, but to the each end of the individual players, to the parents that were putting their kids uh, you know, uh, in a sport that was considered um, uh, Latino and white dominated, putting them in there, even though it may not have been the most popular sport at the time, you know, putting their kid in, um, you know, even though they were very good in multiple other sports, such as I think uh, Chris Richards um, was a, you know, three sport athlete, including basketball. And, you know, I think he was almost uh, like Mr. Basketball or some a state championship winner. But soccer was his thing, and now he's playing for Crystal Palace in the um, English Premier League. Um, so, as usual, I did like a quick thing, you know, added all their uh, salaries, of, you know, roughly their salaries for the different places they play, whether it's the MLS, uh, EPL, or any other European uh, league. And uh, their total came out to $16 million. I'm sorry, their uh, average came out to uh, $1.4 uh, eight nine million, so about one point, almost one point five million dollars is the average uh, salary that they make, and uh, the median, which is the most likely um, uh, salary that's made, you know, amongst those eleven, uh, is one million dollars, one million dollars a year to play soccer, and that's not including, I think it's about two, almost two hundred thousand um, dollars, one hundred seventy-five to two hundred thousand um, dollars 
uh, a year to play on the United States men's national team. So that's another little boost, uh, almost a quarter of a million dollars in that. Um, so these guys aren't broke. <laughs> that's the other thing. They're not broke. Uh, this is not a, a poor man sport. You definitely can make money out of this. And um, But uh, even more so, uh, I, I, I'm appreciative of the representation. I think, you know, regardless of the ethnicity on this team, everyone is incredible. Uh, I think it's undeniable that this is probably the strongest men's national team in uh, a few decades, if not ever. Um, personally, I feel like they are a contender. Maybe not so much for the finals, uh, but I could be surprised. But they are a contender uh, past the group stage. Uh, and, you know, my goal is for them to make noise. Make enough noise so that way teams are afraid of them uh, when the uh, 2026 World Cup is in uh, USA, Canada, and Mexico. But, um, so that's that. The other side thing with the United States men's national team. So I gave them credit, but now I'm going to give them a little flack. And this is probably more shade thrown at nike so the nike came out uh, the the kits were leaked their uniforms their kits were leaked uh, a few weeks ago almost a month ago and um they were very uh, uh in my opinion i'm going to give my opinion because some people like them and it, it does boggle my mind plain very plain they, they're uninspiring um and i'm not you know one to say that you have to love the you know american flag but it definitely does not reflect the United States, uh, you know, uh, uh, pattern. Um, so the, their home kit is just kind of like this white. And you can look it up. You know, you, there's probably a lot of buzz about it. So you can Google USA uh, 2022 uh, World Cup kits. There's the home kit, which is majority white with a little, you know, few uh like a stripe of blue and a stripe of red next to each other on the shoulders and the the crest in the middle and majority white with this weird collar line pattern of something uh then the 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 other kid is this tie-dye blue uh which is just strange to me what you know what, I, I can understand that as a warm-up kit either one is a warm-up you know um wearable but as the main thing it just does not represent the united states um, you know, whether you're a fan of the, uh, what's that, the Bomb Pops or the, the Waldos or, or even the Stripe Across, um, you know, that's, it, it, it's, they're undeniably better. And this isn't one of those things where, oh, well, you know, if they start winning, people will like it. People will like the team. People will not like the uniform. Especially when it's $140 to get the player's name and number on the jersey. I, I don't want to play, pay for bad design. This is a this is a Nike designed uniform. This is a, Nike is a United States uh, company. Why are we putting less effort into our design? This you know it it was almost like the United States was just an afterthought. Oh well, we have you know such a large population, so people will buy it anyway. We're gonna spend our time and really work on these other kits like the Brazil kit. We're going to add the little Jaguar pattern. They, if you look at the other kits that Nike made, they put effort into those. They put a lot of effort uh, into those designs. And the United States was just kind of, you know, oh, this is the, the drafting phase and uh, we'll just go with this. Um, so I do like the, the, the influx of fans uh, that were so frustrated by it. They started making them in. Um, 
you can probably find those on like Twitter, you know, uh, just searching around, same thing, U.S. Men's uh, National Team um, World Cup kits, and then you'll see a lot of replies of people just deciding to make their own, and um, there's one, I would love you to go look it up, um, it's this uh, uh, black and gold, and uh, no, no bias intended as a Saints fan, but I do like the, the, the style of it. Um, and inscripted on it is something that's unique. It may not be the American flag, but it's something so unique to the United States. It's the Declaration of Independence. And um, I think that would be an incredible one. That would be an incredible kit to wear. Um, and, and the funny part would be if, you know, when they play against England, that would be even funnier uh, to, <laughs> to, to be fighting uh, with your in Declaration of Independence against uh, England. Um, more, more of just tongue in cheek, but, you know, uh, still respectful, uh, you know, to, to England and their team. But, um, I like the ingenuity of, of the fans and I would implore Nike to jump on the bandwagon of their fans and say, we need to listen to you. Don't become such a big corporation and think that your designs don't stink to the point where they stink. And people will, uh, you know, move away from you and go to other countries. Adidas, which is a you know obviously a German country, Adidasler, uh, or you know, or Puma. You know, nobody wants to be associated with a, uh, a company that does not care about your design. Um, you know, designing for your team. Um, so that's that. And uh, just going to make this the part of the second segment, just because the next thing is so short. Um, big props to LeBron and Drake. No, I'm not a LeBron fan. I respect how great he is, but no, I don't have to be a fan to respect him. That aside, same thing with Drake. I respect his art, um, artistic ability. Uh, you know, I have a few songs of him on my playlist, but I'm not running out to get tickets just because I don't go to concerts. Uh, <laughs> with that aside, uh, they're passive owners, so they're not direct owners, but they are passive owners, uh, so that means they, uh, you know, have money invested into an investment group, essentially. Um, that has bought, uh, you know, I think either they bought or they bought a percentage of uh, AC Milan. So that gives um, LeBron two um, European teams that he's now a partial owner of, or at least has uh, is a passive investor in one of them, which is, to my point, you know, very good. Um, and a little bit with that. Um, and I may dive into this on uh, the next episode. English fans, English owners, English, you know, whatever. If you don't like American money in your sport because you think that our influence with our money is not good, obviously, you know, the Manchester United, who's actually doing much better than they expected now. Real quick. Take the Saudi Arabian money, the Chinese money, and other countries' money out of your league. You cannot sit there and act like American money is detrimental to the sport. If you feel that it is, I'm, I respect you. Just be consistent. Be consistent. Otherwise, you're just showing you know your your specific bias against the United States. By all means, we we don't mind if there's you know British money put into NFL teams. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, give the people what they want. People didn't want a Super League, but if people want, you know, you can ask the fans. If the fans want an all-star game, 
go for it. Don't act like it's just a, a, a United States thing, you know, that's influencing. Ask the fans. That's always the good thing. Just like with the Nike thing, ask the fans. The fans are the, the primary shareholder. Without the fans, you're just a team. Uh, so that's all for today. And like I said, sorry for the, the rant and just the two segments. But I'm way over the time that I usually do. Um, and hopefully in the next couple, couple of weeks, uh, the MLS uh, playoffs to start up in the next week or a month. Um, obviously, more and more uh, U.S. Uh, national games getting ready for the World Cup, some practices, and uh, just some Champions League uh, games starting up. And hopefully I have more for you about that. And as usual, looking forward to kicking it with you. Bye. Welcome to another episode of Pitch Black, America's Missing Soccer Stars, and this time we're going to talk about World Cup, World Cup, and some more World Cup, and everything that deals with African, African American, and black people and players all throughout this whole group stage, and a little bit into the knockout stage. I'm your host, Matthew Wilson, and we're going to get right into it with United States men's national team, African teams, and a very, very polarizing but accurate quote by Jose Marino himself. 